I wanna um I wanna start off by um quick question like you ever wonder why it's so hard to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, didn't somebody tell you it was gonna be peaches and cream once you accepted Christ? I know everybody in this church is like, nah, nah, Pastor, you never said that. I know I never said that here. But some places make us feel like all you got to do is accept Christ and everything will be perfect. You won't have any more problems. You won't have any more trials, no trials or tribulations. It's going to be a smooth uh, walk in the park. And then all of a sudden, you realize that that is far from the truth. Anybody realize that? That's far from the truth? But I don't understand what's going on. I accepted Christ. Why am I going through stuff? Right? Anybody? All right. We realized that that was far from reality. And if I look around this morning, I know that there are many of you that are dealing with some very difficult things in life right now. You're here, you know, you're worshiping the Lord, but you're dealing with some very, very difficult times in your life. And um, there are some people that you don't see here today that they're dealing with some very difficult things in their life. And that's one of the reasons why they couldn't even bring themselves to come out. My first reaction to this, you know, if you want to think about it, it's like, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. How many of us feel that way sometimes? It's just not fair. It's just not fair, God. How is it, how is it that my younger sister, and you guys know my, or my story, how is it that my younger sister can have stage four cancer we can pray, we can, she can love God, she can, she can ask for healing. How is it that through all that chemo and all that struggle, she still passes away? It's just not fair. It's not fair. Why is it, how is it fair that a man who loves Jesus, right, can still suffer through so many physical problems? We see Tanya right here, and she loves Jesus, and she suffers through a lot of physical ailments. How is that fair? How is that fair? How is it fair that Christian marriages that put God in the center still have to deal with trials and tribulations that are designed to destroy their marriage? I mean, we love God. Why do we have to go through stuff? Why does our marriage have to go through things if we both love God? It's not fair, right? It's not fair. How is it fair, how is it fair that some of us have to deal with children who have developmental disabilities? How is it fair that we can do the best job we can to raise children and they grow up and make their own decisions anyway that go against everything that we've tried to teach them? How is it fair? How is it fair that we, we trust God, we love God, and yet we're still experiencing financial difficulties? How is that fair? I mean, after all, Jesus claimed that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Then how is it possible for the citizens of that kingdom, if we call ourselves Christians, how is it possible for the citizens of that kingdom to suffer like this? Why is it fair? It, won't, it, it probably won't surprise you that, um, to know that Jesus' disciples had the same questions. Like they had the, a very similar question, right? And at first, 
following Jesus wasn't all that hard. It was actually probably like the newest trend, you know? This guy shows up on the scene, you know, starts healing stuff. Miracles are happening. Oh, this is the guy to follow. But then came the persecution. Then came all of that. So in the beginning, it was all good. You know, you know it, it, was, it was okay at first. Early in the ministry, he was popular. But by the time... By the time Jesus begins to speak to his disciples in parables during the last six months of his earthly ministry, the situation had already changed dramatically. So the disciples naturally began to wonder, like, why? If the kingdom of God has indeed come, why um, are we being met with such great opposition? Now, you have to remember that these disciples were still... um, They were still looking for Jesus to actually initiate some kind of earthly kingdom. Remember, when the Jews were like, the Messiah is going to come, he's going to take over. They thought that the king was going to like take over, like overpower Rome. Like, so they, they, so the disciples, they didn't really get it yet. So yeah, they're following him. They know something's different. They know he's the Messiah, but, but, but the kingdom in their mind still is some kind of earthly kingdom. So when it become, when it becomes apparent Um, that the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus, they couldn't understand why such evil could hold so much power in that kingdom. And that's the issue that Jesus addresses in the parable that we're going to be discussing today. We are still in our, seri- in our series called Storytime. We're in our Storytime series. We've been going parable after parable, just breaking down the parables and what it meant and how it applies to our lives today. Last week, can we, can we give it up for Dennis? Can we get, I didn't even want to preach today. I don't know. I was going to like, Dennis, can you go again? Can you go again, Dennis? Um, Dennis did an amazing job. Where is he? He's hiding somewhere. He's hiding somewhere. There he is. Look at there he is. Um, he did such a great job. If you missed it, catch the replay on YouTube or Facebook. He did an awesome job. Um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 24 to 30. Today's title is, Today's sermon title is Why God? Why? Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted um, good seed in in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. Now, as Dennis explained last week, right, just like the parable of the sower that we examined last week, we don't have to guess with this parable about the interpretation. You know, Jesus did us a solid, and he, and he, he breaks it down for us, so we don't have to try to figure it out. He tells us what it means, Right? And so his interpretation of this parable is found a couple verses down from 36 to 43. Let's read that. 
Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples says, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. The funny thing is this, like, he, he didn't explain it right away. He actually told another parable after this. So they probably were, like, still thinking about this. And like, yo, can you take it back? Can you take it back to this and explain to, this, explain to us what this actually means? And he says, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. Say world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds amongst the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We heard that last week when Jesus told the disciples, like, yo, if you have ears, listen. And Dennis was like, can you hear? Can you hear? This morning, I want us to look at this parable, but I want us to look at this parable through the eyes of the servant. When Dennis brought the parable of the sower last week, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. You know, we could, I could piggyback off of that, and we, we go right into this. But, but I want us to look at this parable through the eyes of the servants, right? Imagine being a servant at that moment. Um, and if we can do that, it'll help us answer three questions that those servants probably had and most likely we have today in life. Three questions. First question is, why is there evil in the midst of God's kingdom? If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if it's here, why is there evil here? Anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever thought, like, why is there evil here? Well, um, notice the question the servants asked the master when they noticed the weeds, right? Master, did you not sow seed, good seed in your field? Then how come it has weeds, right? I mean, that's a common question. That's a, that's a good question to ask. But in order to understand the thinking behind that question, we need to first understand a couple elements um, in this parable. First, Jesus tells this parable, tells us the master in this parable is no other than Jesus himself, that's what he's telling us. He's telling us that. He uses the phrase son of man. Son of man is used um, most often to refer, he used that most often to refer to himself in the Gospels. And we see that first, I, I believe in, um, we see that in Daniel chapter 7 when it's describing the Messiah. When it's describing the, the, the Messiah, the king of an everlasting kingdom. Second, there's the identification of the field, and that's why I had you guys repeat world. Jesus clearly tells his disciples what the field represents. The field, rep it's amazing how many times this can be kind of like twisted to, to, to talk about other things. Um, but according to Jesus, the field represents 
what in this parable? All right. I was surprised that as, you, as I studied and as I was looking through a lot of uh, commentaries and stuff throughout the week, um, many people have taken this kind of out of context to press an issue of addressing evil in the church. I can get why they can, I can get maybe how they can try to make it sound like that, but the thing is, Jesus, he explained the parable to us. And he said, the field represents the world, not the church, right? So, so when, when you use this story to talk about addressing evil in the church, it's, it's, it's out of context, you know? Um, there was even a sermon title called Hypocrites in the Church. All churches have hypocrites, right? But, but this is not the parable for that. <laughs> um, there's no doubt that it's important to, seal, to, to deal with sin in the church. Trust me, you guys already know. Um, and, in our, in the, and, and in our lives, but that's not the focus of this parable. This parable talks about evil that's in the world, not evil in the church. And we're going to see why that's so important as we continue to break down some of these questions, right? We also see that the master, Jesus, he sows the... He sows in the field, in the world. Jesus says that he sows in the world. Well, he sows in the world are sons of the kingdom. Those are the ones later described in verse 43 as the righteous who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The people, be- people become sons of the kingdom totally as a result of the work of Jesus in their lives. It's very important because I know we live in a society where, like, if you, like, if you work hard, you play hard, you earn hard, right? If, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I do this, I'll get this. If I say this, I can get this. And so we live in a, we live in a, a, a world where there's an action, there's a reaction. There's an action, there's a reaction. What do I have to do to get this? What do I have to do to get this? And so sometimes that mentality transfers into our walk with God, and we feel like, okay, what are the things that I have to do? What are the works that I have to do to then be a son of the kingdom, a daughter of the king? And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We talked about, we talked about this in, in one of our series about that works. We don't do works to be saved, but after salvation, the works that we do, it should just be natural. You, know, you understand? Um, and so uh, it says, no one can become a, a citizen of the kingdom of God as a result of your own, of your own efforts. It's, a complete, it's completely a result of God's grace, of God's grace not our own merit. So the righteous that these, kin, that these kingdom citizens possess is not righteousness from their own work, but the righteousness of Jesus that is given to them based on their faith in him alone as the basis for that righteousness. So Jesus takes these sons, right, these sons of the kingdom, and he sows them out into the world. He spreads them out all over the world. And the parable is not a picture of the world in the church, but it's a picture of the church in the world. Are you guys getting it? You're really quiet this morning. You're really quiet this morning. 
Al, we ready to shout a couple things in a minute. <laughs> so the picture that here that, he, that God is making is that, this, uh, the, so the picture here is that God makes citizens of his kingdom righteous through faith in Jesus, and then he places them, he places them in the world for the purposes that we're going to continue to talk about in a moment. So finally, before we can answer the question of why is there evil, why is there evil in the midst of God's kingdom, let's think about the servants. Although it says that the master sowed the seed, right, we all know that masters get credit for everything, even though a lot of them don't do much. But that's why they're the master, right? He, he had servants, and as a master, the servants were the ones that most likely physically sowed the seeds. The master was, you know, supervising. He was watching, supervising, ah, too close, spread it out, all right, that's good, okay, over here, put a little more here, put a little more there, and so he was, you know, supervising, right? And so most likely, especially with the culture of, that, of those days, it was actually the servants that were actually doing the work. And when they saw that weed started to grow in the midst of the good thing, I mean, I would get a little nervous. Like, wait a minute, did we do something wrong? Like, did we do something wrong? And so that's why they were quick to say, hey, is everything okay? I mean, I don't know why this is happening. In those days, it was common for people to, when they would see things go wrong, in someone's life, their first go-to was, what sin did you do? What sin? In first century Juda uh, Ju um, Juda Judaism, it, the, it, the, the, the concept was, well, you were born what? Oh, so you're, what, what sin did your parents do? What sin did you do? Right? We see that in the account of the blind man in chap uh, John chapter 9. They always believed that a disorder or disease was caused by sin. And so it's most likely that the servants in this parable were worried that perhaps they had done something wrong as a result of their wrongness that there were weeds now growing in the field. I think some people, I won't say us or all of us or most of us, some people um, identify with that kind of thinking. You know, some people will see someone going through some stuff, and like Job's friends, remember? Well, what'd you do? What'd you do? Oh, man, my car, this, my car. Man, you must have did something. Are you praying? Are you reading your word? Are, 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 maybe you're not doing enough, right? Right? Come. Y'all all trying to be holy this morning? Some of y'all be like, you know, no, not y'all. Some people be like, Psh, they need to get in their word more. They need to pray more. If they were praying more, this wouldn't be happening to them. If they were reading their word more, this wouldn't be happening to them. You see, the reason why y'all so quiet is because y'all don't do that. I get it. But there's people out there that do sometimes. John chapter 9, verse 2 says, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Gosh, cut the guy a break. But you know what we do? Even in our own lives, 
sometimes we question the trials and tribulations that we go through. Let's be honest. Sometimes we go through some stuff, and we're like, man, what am I doing wrong? Like, where am I falling short? Right? What, what, what am I not doing? And we begin to, we begin to almost self-condemn ourselves in our, in our trials and tribulations because we assume sometimes that it's our fault. Now, sometimes it is your fault. Well, pastor, which one is it? God does occasionally discipline us for repeated Repeated and unrepentant sin. There are times that God will discipline us when we are constantly doing something we shouldn't be doing and we are unwilling to repent of it. And because he loves us, he takes out the rod. Remember? Don't spare the rod. Don't, yeah, exactly. So, so sometimes he takes that rod out and he's like, and you know what? I know that in my life, that was one of the ways that he got my attention. Because he, <laughs> he had been telling me nice and quiet, hey, Vince, Vince, I love you, don't do that. Vince, I love you, don't do that. Vince, I love you, don't do that. Vince, I told you, don't do that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I try to tell you nicely, you don't listen. Oh. <laughs> but most of the time that we suffer, <laughs> he didn't like his, he didn't like, he, he, he imagined his grandfather getting smacked in the head. That's what happened. Now, most of the time, this parable, and most of the time, it's not, that's not why we suffer. Most of the time, we're not suffering because of that, right? Most of the times, as this parable points out, we suffer because we live in a world where evil is present. We live in a world where evil is present. So why is evil present if we're living in God's kingdom? And the answer is simple. There's evil present because there is an enemy. We have a real enemy. Evil in this world is neither from God nor is the result of anything that the servants had done wrong. The evil was there because the enemy, the devil, had sowed it there. The kingdom of heaven is both physical and spiritual. Um, it has, it has both physical and spiritual aspects, and right now, uh, right now what, we can, what we can experience right, is the spiritual aspect of the kingdom here on earth, not the physical yet. But um, in the physical realm, the devil, who Paul calls the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, has been permitted to sow evil in the world. And it is the evil that is sown by the enemy that is the cause of so many of our present difficulties. So don't sit there and blame God like some people do. God, how could you do this? Remember? Some of us have been there. Some, I've been there. How could you do this, God? How could you let this happen? How could you just... God didn't do it. 
But then, if we look at that, then the next question is almost natural. It comes right after um, by answering that. was, well, well, why does Jesus permit it? Okay, we understand why there's evil there because the enemy is sowing it. But why does Jesus permit this to happen? I mean, can he do something about this? And the thing is, many people will try to answer this question, you know, and there's lots of, there's tons of theological debates and discussions on this, right? There was a book by a Jewish rabbi, uh, his name was Harold uh, Kushner. And in the 80s, what happened, in the early 80s, his son uh, died of, um, of a serious medical condition, but his son was only three years old. And so he wrote a book, as a, as, as a product of that pain, he wrote a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, his best answer to that question of why does Jesus allow evil to remain in the world, he best summarized it in chapter 7, the title. He says, God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. That's what he, that's his summary. That was his, his he's come, he came to a conclusion where he says, God can't, he said, God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. Well, this parable clearly refutes that idea. Because one day, the kingdom that is now only spiritual will both become physical and spiritual. And on that day, Jesus is going to return and he's going to gather, right, gather all the causes of sin and all the evil. And he's going to throw them into a place of everlasting punishment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Clearly, God does have the power to destroy evil. But the question is, why isn't he doing it right now? Right? Some of us want it now. Some of us want Jesus Burger King style. We want fast results. We want it now. We want it today. We want it. I mean, what, what we, had the, we had the outreach on Saturday, which, by the way, thank you guys for participating, those who did. If you didn't, it's okay. We'll do it again. But I remember I was talking with Jocelyn, and I was like, Jocelyn and Omar, we're going to go out and get some last-minute things. And Jocelyn's like, Pastor, you know, if you order that today on Amazon, it says same-day delivery. I want it now. And then... It didn't show up when it was supposed to. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, oh, my God, we need this for the morning. It's not here yet. We wanted it now. It came, it came, it came that night. They were doing uh, some late shifts on Amazon that night. But we want it now. And we have accustomed to that lifestyle because I wanted something, and I didn't even go to the store, and it got delivered the same day. And I never got off my seat. Half of us, we haven't been to stores in a long time. Because we just be like, what do you want? Oh. What do you want? Oh. Food? I got that too. What else? Man. Church, go outside. It's a beautiful day. Take a walk. Enjoy the sun, the trees, the, the wind, you know? Wait, wait, in, wait in line to get a table at a restaurant. It's okay. It's all right. 40 minutes isn't going to kill you. It's all right. 
40 minutes? <laughs> Listen, you leave that restaurant, Mike, is this true? You leave that restaurant, they say 40 minutes, you leave that restaurant, you look for another one, you find that one, they say 20 minutes, you already wasted 30 minutes looking for this one, now 50 minutes. You would have already been eating. Patience, patience. Now, if they say an hour and a half, that's different. That's different. Call ahead, put a reservation in, something. The master in this parable answers the question of why he doesn't do this right now. According to his servant's desire to immediately want to go and take the, the, the weeds out, um, God, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you take the, the weeds out now, you'll mess up the wheat that's in there. If you take that out, you'll, you'll mess, the, mess up the wheat. They'll be harmed as well. Peter gives us some insight on this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people may think. Some people, maybe. Maybe he's talking about you guys. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Obviously, in plant life, right, Mark? Mark and Shannon, there, there, are, there are urban farmers here. In, in plant life, a weed can never become wheat, right? Right? If you see a weed, it will always be a weed. Doesn't matter what you put on it. Doesn't matter if you decorate it. Doesn't matter if you put flowers around it. It doesn't matter if you move it to another location and put it under the sun. Or it doesn't matter what you do. A weed will always be a weed, and it can't just miraculously transform here in the physical world. But spiritually, but spiritually, weeds, right? Weeds can transform to wheat. We were all once weeds. Some of us in here may still be a weed. It's okay. We're working on it. We're working on it. But the cool thing is, thank you, Jesus, that we can be transformed to wheat. We can be transformed. So we ought to be grateful that God is patient with his judgment. Right? We, we need to be grateful that he's patient with his judgment because otherwise some of us would not have survived long enough to have experienced his grace to be transformed to wheat. Imagine, imagine if God was as fast as Amazon. Oh, wheat out, wheat out. But wait a minute. Some of us, we just, some of us can look back 20 years from and like, man, 20 years ago I gave my life to Christ. Some of you guys, well, I just did that a couple months ago. Thank God he gave me that time. Thank God, he, thank, God thank, thank you, Jesus, for that grace and for your patience and, for, your, and, and for, you know, for your love because he loves us that much. He's patiently carrying out his judgment because he is, it's his desire to want as many people saved as possible. 2 Peter 3, 15 says, and remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul, brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. 
I know that our natural response is we see evil, we want it gone. We see evil in the world, we want it gone. And we don't sometimes understand why God allows this for so much. But it's his patience. It, it, it's his, his patience means salvation. So if you want to know the answer to the question, well, why doesn't God do anything about it right now? Why doesn't he just come in and rip it all out? Because some of those weeds are going to be transformed to wheat. Think about family members that you may have right now. We all have family members, probably at least one, that don't serve the Lord. Right? Imagine if we're so, come on, God, rip this all out. Well, guess what? That family member is getting ripped out too and sent to a place of gnashing of teeth and fiery furnace. Think about that. Right? I know we're still praying for some miracles. It's going to happen. Thank God for his patience. Third question, what is Jesus' followers to do about that evil? Okay, so God, if we can't pray for you to rip us all out, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in the meantime, right? Let's remember that the field in this parable represents the church. I want to go back to what I talked about in the earlier part of the message. Um, it's not... You, is this message is not supposed to be used to judge um, the body in the church, right? It's not supposed to be used for that. And so when we use, when you use it in that context, then some people will say, we're just supposed to let sin and evil remain in the church and just wait for Jesus to deal with it when he returns. Because that's the context. If they're going to use it in that context, that's what, they, that's what it would mean. Because remember, he says, the, the, the master is saying, don't touch it. Uh, I'm going to send harvesters to deal with it later. So if we're talking about sin in the church, in the body of Christ, then what their context is teaching me is that I should do nothing, and eventually God will deal with it. Well, <laughs> as much as people may want, to want things sugar-coated, and as much as some people may want their sin ignored, right? You guys already know that doesn't happen here. And that's why we talked about we don't have 4,000 member church because it's hard for people hearing the truth about themselves. Like, yo, you wrong. You wrong. That's sin. And sin goes against God's word. And so there's, therefore it's wrong. Um, there's plenty of places that you can go to be a speck in the crowd, keep sinning, and feel good about yourself because you checked off Sunday service. There's plenty of places to do that. There's plenty of places, right? Um, but, like Tanya said, I'm going to confront it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, what you see is what you get, right? I'm going to confront it, obviously with love, right? I'm, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And when I tell you that truth, which is not my truth, but it's, it's, it's this truth, right? This truth. This, this, this is the problem. This is the truth. Not, not what I have to say, but what this has to say. When I tell you what truth is, then you have a decision to make. You can take that info, evaluate yourself, and be like, God, I'm sorry. I need to repent. I need to change my life. 
Or, or you can leave. You can stop coming. Never say goodbye to the people that loved you, that poured into you, that took time for you. Just disappear and become a speck in another place. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And I used to be hurt and offended, especially in the beginning of, 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 of ministry when I, when I first started. I used to, it really used to hurt. Like, remember? I'm like, but I did so much for this person. I was there for him. I was there for him. It really would affect me. I, yo, I think I lost some hair because of that, right? But then I'm starting to realize, like, why do I want people around me that are not willing to be led? To make my life a living hell? Is that why? Anyways, we're not talking about that right now. We could do campfire chats with the pastor with that. So what about evil in the world? Outside the church, <laughs> outside the church, <laughs> and which is the focus of this parable, how do we deal with that evil? Let's face it. We're a lot like the servants, right? We see evil in the world around us, and our reaction is to want to do something about it fast. Our reaction is to want to get it handled or, 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 or make sure we kind of control it or try to do something about it. Um, but, but if we gather the weeds, like, like we were taught, we will uproot the wheat along with them. Before we can fully understand what, God, what Jesus is teaching here, a little bit of background. The weeds in, these day, in this day was probably those that are commonly called bearded, Darnell, I don't know, Darnell, bearded Darnells or whatever. And the thing is about these weeds is that in the early stages, they looked just like the wheat. Before they would grow out, they looked just like the wheat. So when they were little, they were like, oh, look, oh, cute. But then when they get bigger, you would notice, wait a minute, I've been bamboozled. An imposter, you know? Oh, copy, roger that. By the time the plant develops enough to be distinguished from wheat, right, the roots have already become entangled. So you see it's different. Like, you know, people can be like, oh, why didn't they just pull it out fast before the roots got, because they couldn't. Because it would all look the same. And then when it would start to grow a little bit more, by the time you could distinguish it, the roots would all be mixed in together. You'd pull out the good with the bad. So Jesus tells us to leave the weeds alone and let him take care of that problem. First of all, it's important for us to distinguish the wheat from the It's impossible from us, for us to distinguish the wheat from the weeds. Why? Because I'm tainted by sin myself. I'm, I'm not in a position to judge others, right? And when I say that, we talk about discerning of the heart, discerning of the heart. Only God can discern the heart. There are people in our perspective that we would be like, oh, he a weed. Take him out. Take him out, Jesus. He's a weed. In our perspective, I mentioned a couple weeks ago in, 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 as an illustration, I talked about Jeffrey Dahmer. Remember? Remember? Uh, definitely a weed, Jesus. I mean, if weeds could be weedier, this is it. The weediest. But as we see, we follow his biography and everything like that in his last days, 
he accepted Christ, gave his life to Christ, repented of all his sins, and supernaturally became wheat, if, if that's what truly happened. Our perspective can be tainted by so much. Oh, you cut me over in the street? Oh, that's weed. She cut, she cut me off. I was driving. Imagine all the people that you guys might label as weeds. There might, some, there might be some innocent people dying there. It's God's plan for us to live in a world in the midst of evil, and this parable confirms what we find in, in, um, in other parts of the Scripture. We're not here by accident. We've been planted here by God. John 17, 18 says, Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. That means that God doesn't call us to isolate ourselves from evil, from the evil world. He never called us, he never called us to only associate with just believers or to live like in a monastery, like in a, in a, in a in a cult plantation with just us, right? Now, obviously, he doesn't want us to take part, take of the evil in this world, and that's why he says we are in this world, but we are not of it, remember? But how are you going to preach the gospel to people that don't know God if you're only with people that know God? I, I mean, if, you, I mean if, if you're at a point, and I'm, I know people are like, I don't know, Pastor, you're telling me to hang out with people that are not safe? No, I'm, oh, wait, listen, relax, relax. I'm telling you that there are people in your life that need to hear the gospel. And they will not hear the gospel from you if you only surround yourself only at all times, 24-7, with those that are saved. I know some of us that have big families, we struggle with this. Because if we have big families, a lot of percentage of our families sometimes are not saved. So sometimes those family parties are kind of lit, right? It's kind of crazy. And so um, I, know that I, I know that my parents and I are a little different. My parents, you know, they go really early to family functions, like really early. <laughs> so they can be there, eat, and leave before like the <laughs> all that, right? And, 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 and the funny thing is... Um, after they've left, my wife and I, staying behind just to be in the midst of family, have had opportunities to speak to some family members that we would have never had the opportunity to speak to if we would not have been there. Now, guess what? Even in the midst of the, they, they don't see us going crazy like, ah, oh, you know, they don't see us doing that, right? But, no, 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 you only get it once. Rewind the tape, you want to see it again. <laughs> Um, but th- thank you, thank you. You, 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 you kind of cute yourself too. Um, and so what happens is, so what happens is, if we tell, it, it, and then not only, not only do we not have opportunities to spread the gospel, but then our unsafe family, they look at us and like, look, they bougie, and they think they're better than us. They think they're better than us. We, we heard that. And then because they say that we, think that, we, that, that we must think that we're better than them, when we try to talk to them about the gospel, they're like, no, yo, bro, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. 
He's called us to be a righteous influence in this world, not to judge it. Right? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus called his followers to be the salt and the light. That's a great picture that reveals that we're supposed to be influencers for good. Yo, God wants us to be influencers, not IG influencers. He wants us to be influencers for good in the midst of this. What, is that not right? I'm trying to stay up with the, I'm trying to stay up with the times. Is that, is that right, Becky, Sam? All right, thank you, thank you. Like salt and light, our lives and our words are to flavor, they're to preserve and illuminate in the midst of the dark world that we live in. There will certainly be times when God will call us out, right, to, to, to use truth, the truth of his word, to reveal and even speak out against sin in our world. I think that we have a responsibility to stand firm on the truth, no matter what the world wants to say is truth. This is truth. And if the world says anything against it, then you know what? I'm still standing on this. I'm still standing on this. If we take all these things into consideration, I think we can summarize this last question, this last answer to the question about what are we supposed to do as Jesus' followers about this evil? We're supposed to treat people with compassion and not condemn them. How can we expect, I think Dennis touched on this last week, how can we expect people to act saved if they don't know God? Like, why, why, why are we trying to hold them to standards that don't apply to them because they're not children of the king? You know what I'm saying? But the church has this reputation of this holier-than-thou judgment. And some of us, when we try to talk to our friends, we hear the responses. Oh, well, I want to go to church. Always judging people, always telling this and this. I went to it. My, my brother-in-law went to a church one time. My brother-in-law went to a church one time. Real story. And where, where's, uh, he, 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 had, well, he, had the, he had the beard. He had the goatee. He had the long goatee thing going on, right? And he went in. He, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a nice dresser, you know, very hip and trendy, right? And he walks into a church, and he was there, and he loved it. He, you know, he, he was like, oh, I like the music. He's big on music, so he liked the music. And he was like, oh, I like this. And then um, on his way out, the, the, the pastor approached him, introduced himself, and then, you know, my brother-in-law tells him, like, oh, I really liked it. You know, I'm going to be back next week. The pastor's like, oh, cool. When you come back next week, though, why don't you cut that and throw a suit on? Now, some of the men have met my brother-in-law at the Super Bowl party we had one time. And um, he's a loving man. I mean, I love this guy. He's cool to hang out with. But he won't sugarcoat what, he has, what he's thinking about at the moment. And so he was, just, you know, he, just, he, he was disappointed to just wrap it up in a nice way and not go back. But this is, so, so he's like, and the thing is, is, he needs Jesus. Crazy thing is, he introduced he introduced. Um, my, my other, her other brother, who's a pastor at the moment, into to Christ. But then he himself kind of have 
left the ways of, uh, of walking the Lord. And so he needs Jesus. He knows about him and he needs him. And we were finally happy that he was about to go to church and then he hears this. And so, he, then, so, then he, then, so his thing is like, whatever, I don't need to be judged. And then he, and then because he was in church before, he says, there's people with suits on that are living worse lives than me. And he's right. We can't be that. It doesn't matter. I mean, you walk in here, and this is, and this is in the church, I'm telling, I've been letting you guys know this. How are we called Lighthouse Family Center if we don't feel like family when people walk in here? We have some visitors in the house today. I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on blast. They, I, just seeing these visitors today took me back to 10, 11, 12 years old in my life. Um, we have the Merryweathers that are here, and we have Royce and Amber that are here. Let's get... You know. I only point you guys out because I want to say this. I want to say that the, the something that I experienced at Living Word back in that time was that feeling that I'm talking about. Like, it felt like we were a family. Like, it really did. And it seemed like we just always wanted to be together. We would do things together. We would have these yearly retreats that I'm going to start. I want to implement that at our church where every year, the same weekend of the same month, we'd go to like Harvey Cedars' uh, place in like somewhere by the beach and Jer- by the shore, and we'd spend the weekend together. And we'd have a talent show on Friday night, and we'd have prayer and baptism and a service. And it was an amazing time spent as a family. And you guys have all year to pay for it. <laughs> like all year, because it's the same weekend every year. Whoever wants to lead that project, let me know. Please, let me know so we can start now. We're called to love the lost. And when we love the lost, guess what happens? The lost are drawn to Jesus. They're like, oh, why? what is this? What is this love? Why are you loving me? You don't know me. Well, you know, Jesus loved me. He first loved me. And you know what? Because of his love, I love you. Sadly, some horrible things have happened in history because of people wanting to uproot evil. There was a time, something called like the Salem witch trials, remember? Where there was witches and stuff, and they were, they were, the, the church got, got crazy about hunting down these witches and killing them. But guess what? They didn't just kill witches. They killed people associated with them, and they were innocent. And so what happens is innocent people died because of the righteous, quote-unquote, righteous decisions to go and uproot evil from society. In closing, in closing, um, it's not, life as a, a follower of Jesus isn't always fair. It's not fair. But not in the way we think about it. It's not fair that what isn't fair is that any of us are even permitted to be sons of the kingdom. Like, do we think we deserve that? I mean, who has earned that? Who has lived their life in a way to have earned the title son or daughter in the kingdom? 
So technically, it's not fair. It's not fair that we can have a relationship with a God who's completely holy when we're not. What isn't fair is that the suffering that we experience in this world today is only temporary, and that eternity God has prepared for us will be free of pain and suffering. None of us actually want what is fair, because what is fair is for us to remain sons of the evil one and subject to the judgment of God. That's what's fair. So in closing this morning, it would seem fitting to just take a few moments to read this last passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Paul clearly summarizes what God has done for us. And he says, As you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ in Christ Jesus church can you stand this morning prayer team can you make your way up to the front please this morning we may ask ourselves why God why? Why is there evil in our midst? Why, Jesus, do you permit this evil to remain? What am I supposed to do about all this? Jesus is patiently waiting because he desires more to be saved. We're supposed to show the lost love and compassion so they, they can be drawn to him. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your teachings, Father God. I thank you for your parables that teach us in simple ways. Father, have your way with us. Continue to lead us continue to guide us. And I thank you in advance for the salvations. I thank you for those that are being prayed for right now. I thank you in advance for their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.